Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another great episode of Market Impact Insights. The heart and soul of this podcast is around the philosophy that in business, it's all about making a positive impact every day. And to make that positive impact as a leader, it's all about constantly evolving and to drive that evolution. It's all about committing to learning. So we're going to take a look at a perspective as a leader of what it means to be learning driven in your journey as a company founder, as a CEO, and in an exciting, fast-growing space like video technology, it's the perfect combination. And just some context, there is so many pieces of data out there around what's happening with video content. And this year, it's estimated that online videos will make up nearly 82% of all consumer internet traffic. That's 15 times greater than only five years ago. So think about that velocity that we're seeing in terms of the use of video. Other studies show that more than half of consumers want to see more video content from the brands and businesses they support. And marketers that are using video have been shown to grow revenue 49% faster than non-video users. So this is an important dynamic, and I'm so excited to have my guest who knows all about video technology, but also this journey as a learning-driven leader, CEO, and founder, Michael Litt. Michael is the co-founder and CEO of Vidyard, the leading video marketing platform. He's helping businesses expand their use of video content, and it's all about turning viewers into customers. Michael is a thought leader. He's a surfer, a serial entrepreneur, and he's passionate about content marketing and changing the way we engage, market, and sell with video. Michael's also been recognized as an Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year and has been featured in Marketing Magazine's Top 30 Under 30. So, Michael, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thanks for having me, Dan. It's great to be here. So, I, I want to kind of go back. You have a very interesting background, this entrepreneurial journey that you've been on. Was founding a company something that was a goal you had for a long time, or was there a specific life event that inspired you to take that first big step? That's a great question. You know, as a kid, uh, I grew up in a small town in Ontario in Canada, and my dad worked for the local utilities uh, organization. My mom was a clerical worker at the local hospital, so both had government government jobs. And, you know, we had a very comfortable, uh, simple life. Um, however, you know, it was clear to me, you know, at a young age that there was this thing called entrepreneurship, which was potentially capable of creating a level of independence that my parents didn't have. Um, you know, my, my parents both intended uh, to retire and then spend some time traveling. Um, and unfortunately, uh, my father uh, fell terminally ill before he was able to achieve that dream. And so 
thus kind of began a little bit of a of a soul searching exercise uh, for myself when I was an undergrad at university to try to understand, you know, how I could potentially take a a, a different path, um, which ultimately led to you know this this concept of of entrepreneurship. Um, you know, I read books like The Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, and mm. uh, that led me to you know, think about opportunities for problems that I could solve and the people I'd like to solve those problems with. And so at the very beginning of undergrad, I met this gentleman named uh, Devin Galloway uh, in an ice cream eating competition, of all things. Wow, that's a first. (laughs) (laughs) Real quick story on that one, because it's quite funny. Um, We showed up at uh, the scavenger hunt during Frosh Week, and uh, we were assigned to this competition. We showed up and the rules were you had to build a big, beautiful Sunday and then eat it as quickly as possible. However, one person had to eat it. One person had to feed it. Uh, and so Devin put his arms behind his back and I was told to slide my arms through his armpits and function as his hands. And oh, my so, goodness. <laughs> they started the countdown, three, two, one, and I threw the spoon away and grabbed the ice cream with my hands and, and shoveled it into his mouth. We became very fast friends. <laughs> I bet. We won the competition for what it's worth. Um, and so, you know, he was someone that I knew was very smart, very creative, uh, and and somebody that I could build a business with. And so later on, um, through the experience we had in co-op, which is four months work and four months school until you graduate, we realized there was an opportunity um, to help businesses create video content, uh, primarily because as product managers and project managers at BlackBerry and CGI Consulting Group, et cetera, we helped um, those businesses bring in contractors to create these videos, to help explaining their technical products to their buyers, to help mitigate software support costs, et cetera. And we realized we could make those videos. We could, you know, put a dent in the world. And, you know, I loved your intro speaking about the power and capability of video. This was in 2010. Uh, It was a very fledgling industry at the time, uh, as you can likely imagine. And so, we ultimately decided to start that business because we realized we could do, you know, five to 10 of these projects per year, just the two of us and live a life where we had more flexibility uh, than, than our parents had. And then, you know, my parents ultimately had had. Um, and so initially the concept of video art really was about building a lifestyle business, uh, something that could pay the bills and give us flexibility. But quickly we fell in love with the problem we were solving our customers were asking us about publishing the video to their website, understanding who was watching it from, and for how long. You know, we got addicted to the problem. We realized we could solve it because we were engineers. We started writing software. We ended up raising some money through through Y Combinator and moving the business to Silicon Valley. And you know, one thing led to another, and uh, we we've built a fairly at scale software business today. So. It's, uh, it certainly hasn't provided the freedom in terms of time, um, but it's been amazing to learn and develop and grow um, the way we have from, from ultimately such humble beginnings. Yeah, isn't it amazing how sometimes these somewhat random events, chance events uh, that bring people together, form relationships, and just amazing what that can lead to. So from ice cream sundays to this powerful <laughs> growth track as a uh, leading video software company, amazing story. And you mentioned at least three times, Michael, in there, what I loved was you were talking about solving problems, right? Everything kind of seemed to get back to the core around understanding customer needs, solving the problem. And it isn't amazing when you can do that really well, things just kind of take care of itself, right? 
in terms of success and, and growth? Yes, absolutely. Our number one stakeholder at Vidyard is and always will be the customer because without them, ultimately we do not exist. Even down to our product management philosophy, you know, we always have said that customers will tell us what they want and our job is to infer and build what they need. And that is ultimately the objective of any corporation. And uh, we take that very seriously today and, and we recognize the customer as the number one value. Well, one of the things that uh, has been, uh, I know, analyzed, talked about uh, a lot is this whole dynamic of transitioning from being just a founder to then being the chief executive officer of a growing, thriving company. Uh, that is a true transition. And from your perspective, Michael, what have been some of the most significant learning that you've taken from that journey? Yes, this one is a deep topic um, that I think has been discussed at length um, in various kind of forums and channels. For me, you know, being a founder is being the one who recognizes the problem and starts to build the solution in a very haphazard, scrappy way. Um, and by that, I mean you're talking to customers, you're trying to sell them product while you're building it. It's, it's very much like building a plane, you know, while you're trying to take it off the ground at speed. Um, it's, it's hectic. You do a lot of things. You wear a lot of different hats. You're involved in every single decision that needs to be made. Um, it really is a, a special time that takes a, um, you know, I think a very motivated personality that's passionate about the problem you're solving. The challenge, though, is a lot of that passion and that willingness to do everything actually becomes a, a, an Achilles heel when you need to transition into a CEO. And as a CEO, as the chief executive officer, you are responsible for essentially building the rails that the organization sits on in order to deliver the best product, in order to scale your go-to-market motions, in order to ensure you have HR policies and best practices and you become an effective employer. And you cannot do everything yourself. And in fact, if you do follow the instinct of the founder, no executive is going to want to work for you because you're not going to allow them to leverage their experience. You're not going to right. allow them the space to fail and to learn. And so becoming a CEO is, is actually this art of stepping back slightly from the day-to-day. -day. And instead of being involved in every single decision that needs to be made, only be involved in the handful of high-impact key decisions that are your responsibility, such as you know, who is in the role of your marketing leadership and your sales leadership. How do you think about the trajectory and roadmap and the macroeconomic climate for your business a year or two in advance? How do you interface with the board to ensure that you're, you're compliant, you're meeting your targets, you're managing their expectations, et cetera? Um, it's a very different practice. And honestly, I don't feel like I fully understood what that transition meant until we were about 100 people. Um, but it's been phenomenal. The, the biggest learning I've had is, is the importance of an executive coach. Because at some point between that transition to, from founder to CEO, you run out of common sense. And you know, being a founder that started this company in undergrad, 
where my work experience was essentially down to the internships and co-ops that I, I did as an undergrad at the University of Waterloo into a CEO requires someone with experience that you know can put their hand on your shoulder and help you build these scalable processes and understand what it is to be that role. Yeah, you definitely touched on something. We're going to circle back to this impact of coaching mentorship. But before getting there, one of the things that is huge, you're, you're competing in a very dynamic space. We talked about the whole explosion, the growth of video, the importance of video and innovation is obviously something from a competitive standpoint, uh, very, very important. What's your view on what really drives innovation? And are there some big obstacles that companies need to overcome if they're really trying to create a, a winning culture that fosters innovation? Yes, this is a great, uh, a great question. Something that I think deeply about, you know, back to this concept of solving a problem. I believe that innovation stems from a curiosity around a problem, the willingness to speak to many stakeholders that are impacted by that problem, and then the ability of pulling out the narrative which most deeply impacts most of those people to build a solution that solves that problem in a scalable, efficient, and elegant way. And to me, that is the concept of product innovation in this world of B2B. That's easy to do as a founder when you have nothing, right? Every line of code you build is new and fresh. You're charting a new course through the jungle. You know, you've got a machete. It's a wall of green in front of you. You're picking your path. The challenge is at scale, that path becomes well-trodden. People have followed you down that path. It is a well-worn path. And now you have many branches along that path and you have to empower people to follow that branch and to grab their own machete and, and carve their own way through the jungle when you have been the one that's been doing it all along. And creating a culture that's willing to take risks, that's willing to take a step out into a new branch of that jungle to innovate on a branching problem set of the one that you solve at the core is very difficult because there is fear of failure that everyone carries that a founder doesn't carry because if a founder had a true fear of failure, they probably would have never started in the first place. And so you have to instill a sense of confidence of experimentation. And I'll say, you know, this is something that Vidyard has to work at and something that, you know, my co-founder and I think about um, very deeply because, you know, you don't want to risk the success of everything you've built that so far by taking a step in the wrong direction. Yeah. And so these are some of the, you know, really compelling aspects of that, that culture of innovation that I think we've, we've captured, but could continuously strive to do better around. So Michael, you, you talked a little bit about the value of coaching uh, as you were really learning and growing as a founder and then into your CEO role. Can you talk a little bit more about the impact on your journey and from all of that coaching or mentoring, is there a single piece of business advice that you've really held on to that's been most important for you? Yeah, that's a fantastic question and perspective. I think the first thing and the most important thing that was shared with me is this concept of 
not knowing what you don't know. And what you don't know is constantly the biggest threat to your organization, uh, your role as CEO, your ability to solve the customer's problem. And so seeking that learning uh, is incredibly valuable. And the way you do that, I think, is through the role of mentorship and coaching. And by surrounding yourself with people who have been through the phases that you're about to go through yourself. Um, so the scale that you're about to achieve, whether that be number of customers or revenue or number of employees um, or the experiences that are inevitable. You know, the first time you, you um, hire an executive that, you know, ultimately uh, has a different attitude or a different approach than you would have taken. Um, you know, the first time that you deal with an enterprise a customer that has a significant issue, the first time your organization sees any kind of legal action. Um, these are just small examples of things that you don't necessarily think about as a founder, but you do as a CEO. Um, so I think that is is probably one of the, the first of many learnings. Um, I'll pause there um, and see if you want to go a little bit deeper on any others. Yeah, it, you know, it's really interesting. One of the benefits of having this circle of advisors is you do get a, a wide diversity of perspective, right? And that's important too, because surrounding yourself with people that are all in kind of the same mindset, that can be very limiting. And so it, it's probably good to be challenged and have very uh, different, maybe constructive conversations, spirited conversations. Did you find that to be the case? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and you're, you're 100% correct that, you know, diversity of thought, perspective and opinion is so important um, because if you build homogeneity in your culture, um, in your perspective, there's always going to be some kind of limiting factor. Your organization ultimately has to represent the customer base. It has to represent the opportunity. And if you want to build a globally impactful organization, you need global representation inside of your business. Now, you mentioned the word culture and developing and nurturing a very distinct, a winning culture. It's probably one of the most challenging things any CEO can do. What have been some of the keys for you at Vidyard to, to be able to do that successfully? Yes. And, you know, this is a big question because now, of course, many organizations have transitioned to being distributed and remote or uh, hybrid by default. And, you know, I think Vidyard as a company has had many different cultures along our trajectory. One of the challenges in our business early on was that my co-founder and I, coming out of the University of Waterloo uh, engineering program, both white males, hired other individuals that looked and sounded just like us from our friend group to start building the code and, and start executing against our opportunity. And, you know, as I mentioned previously, homogeneity in your culture is certainly a bad thing because you do not get that alternative lens that is probably best representative of the market and customers that you want to serve. And so, you know, thus begins the process of unwinding something that feels natural to the inhabitants of the organization from a cultural perspective and messaging the importance of it 
in the context of your business's opportunity, of your customers, et cetera. That was probably one of the first major changes. The next one comes from when you, when you hire in experienced talent and professionals from other organizations where, you know, they've maybe experienced, um, you know, a different work ethic or they've experienced a globalized culture um, that is different from what startups espouse or develop or impose. Um, and ultimately then your culture needs to become a migration of the best parts of both of those perspectives or all the many perspectives. And this is why I believe culture needs to upgrade and modify and, and consistently change. The most recent evolution of culture obviously comes from this transition from everybody being in the space to sharing drinks at the water cooler, to playing you know, foosball together, to having shared lunches served to them, to now being in a very distributed, remote, and digital-first environment, which becomes very transactional. And so how do you create those opportunities to build trust and that cultural narrative with your colleagues when you're just spending time on Zoom? And frankly, this is something that we're currently faced with, that we're currently seeking to solve for, um, that is the most recent evolution of, of this cultural change. Yeah, and the reality is, uh, having gone through the last two plus years, uh, changing that where we work model doesn't feel like we're ever going to go back to where it was before, right? There's there's permanent change in expectations from employees of wanting that flexibility of being able to be remote. So do you, do you see that as a reality in terms of a, a new and, and different working model? Absolutely. I think... You know, in the end of the day, you know, as an employer, you are essentially pointing dollar resources at a problem and then hiring individuals in with those dollars um, to solve that problem as quickly and as best as is, as is humanly possible. And so as an employer, you are 100 um, percent, you know, held accountable to the desires of the talent market. And my opinion and the data would show as far as I'm concerned that the vast majority of the people we want to work with to solve this problem of helping customers use video to drive success in their business want the flexibility of being able to work from home either for the entirety of the week, certain portions of the week. Yeah. They also want the opportunity to get together with their colleagues when they can. And so we are adopting a hybrid um, strategy whereby all content, all communications, if they are to be delivered and not everyone can be physically present, they will be delivered digitally. And so a good example of this is, you know, a team gets together at one of our collaboration centers, which are our, our physical environments where people can work. If one person isn't comfortable because of the current state of COVID or they live far away, everyone has to, has to default to Zoom. So that, that one individual isn't treated, you know, as a lower class uh, role in the organization by being the only one that's not in the room. The way we handle this at scale is, you know, we have our company kickoff coming up in May. All of the content will be delivered digitally. However, we're going to have dinners and meetups after that content is delivered in person for those that are comfortable getting together. And those experiences will be 100% social in nature. There will be no content delivered. They are entirely optional, but
but those are the spaces where people can develop camaraderie, build the trust battery, and build relationships that make the transactional nature of the digital work that much more effective. Yeah. Now we've been talking about the dynamic in terms of as an employer and teams that are working remote. If we flip that around and we think about your customers, Vidyard is all about analyzing video performance. Do you think this pandemic experience has fundamentally changed the way the market and businesses think about how to use video in their building of relationships with their potential customers? Absolutely. I mean, I think prior to the pandemic, there was this generational divide between those who were comfortable being on camera and those who weren't. And what I mean by this is, if you look at the standard Gen Z, they use video effectively every day in the context of Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Facebook Messenger, etc. And we're always very comfortable on it. To that point, we would hire some of these individuals into our organization and have to teach them how to write formalized emails because they were so comfortable on video. The pandemic forced everyone to get comfortable on video, everyone to jump on Zoom and turn on their cameras. The sheer volume of meetings where I was in pre-pandemic where cameras weren't on and post-pandemic where they were, I think is a good indication of such. And so the concept of now recording yourself via asynchronous video, sending that to a customer who then can view that content at their discretion on their time, not in a pre-scheduled meeting, becomes very accessible and very acceptable. And that was a massive transformation. We saw about a 4X lift um, in the number of signups we had for our product on a weekly basis, kind of pre and post pandemic. And that trend line and that trajectory ultimately continues to this very day. And I think the reason being, you know, people again filled their days with Zoom meetings and then realized they had little time for anything else. And so if you were able to then instead send someone a video recording that had the same content, a good example of this is, you know, a customer meeting. Um, if they want a, a quick example of a customer case study, if they want to see the product or see a certain feature set of the product, there's no need to schedule a 30 minute Zoom call. You could quickly send them a video. And the beautiful thing about that video is they can send it to their colleagues. It's a piece of you that is repeatable and shareable. It's almost the salesperson that never sleeps. You know, likewise, if you have a recorded Zoom meeting, you can send them a link via Vidyard to that recorded Zoom meeting so that people who weren't even able to attend it can watch it, but they can also watch it at 2x speed. And so it gives more flexibility to the viewer and to the buyer, which is a very, very powerful thing, as you can likely imagine. You know, you're able to re-record videos that you screw up. I mean, the list of of benefits of recorded video through the sales process, you know, is very, very, very long. I've just touched on a few of them here. And I think the world fundamentally realized that via the pandemic. And that was a massive accelerator for our business, which I'm, I feel very fortunate for. Yeah, it really does create a more personalized, customized experience is really what you were talking about there. So Michael, as you shift and, and you think about the future, what really makes you optimistic? Yeah, I think the flexibility of working from a location of your desire, whether that is your home 
whether that is somewhere in, in Costa Rica on a beach, um, is a very powerful thing for people as it relates to the integration of both work and life. And, you know, the three hours of commuting per day that many people were subject to pre-pandemic, I, I hope they are able to break away from, because that's three hours that could be spent with your family, that could be spent educating yourself on a topic, that could be spent on a side hustle, that could be spent, you know, fulfilling a dream. And I think that's a benefit. Now, of course, the impacts of the pandemic in terms of inflation and and what else is happening um, and, you know, the existence of, of COVID in pockets in some places in the world that are still, you know, experiencing lockdowns, et cetera, isn't great. But I feel like on the other side of all this, humanity will have adapted the use of technology in the concept of work and will have shed some of the expectations of the work-life culture that existed prior to the pandemic that were a byproduct of, you know, the pre-war era. And I think that is a good thing. And I think that is a very positive thing for the benefit of humanity in general. Absolutely. So as we start winding up the conversation, Michael, do you have any other final advice for leaders that are looking to create sustainable growth for their own companies? Yeah, yeah, this is a great one. And, and I was going to answer this earlier, but I figured I would save it. You know, I talked about this transition from being a founder to a CEO and, you know, the opportunity to focus on the big problems and let go of the smaller ones for the benefit of your team and organization having the, having the capacity and the learnings to go and, and, and spend time on them. That said, the challenge with separating yourself from the day-to-day of the business is to separate yourself from the individual contributors that are doing the work and the, and the culture that starts to permeate there. And so the only piece of trailing advice I'd have is to make sure that your skill, you're still doing skip-level meetings. You're still randomly encountering people in the organization who are actually working on the problem, not just transferring the knowledge about you know, what problem needs to be solved, because that gives you a really good understanding of the level of energy, the level of innovation that those individuals are allowed to have. And of course, in a digital and remote first world, you're not just running into these people in the hallways anymore. And so we use a product called Donut Be Shy. Um, That's Uh D-O-N-U-T. I'm sure you've heard of it in Slack that randomly mixes me up with an individual in the organization for a session every week mm. and it's just 30 minutes, but it really gives me a, a good handle on what's happening um, in all areas of the organization. Wow. It's all about connection and uh, love, love how you're approaching that. Well, Michael, thanks again for joining and sharing your own journey as a learning driven leader and uh, also just inspiration around all the potential that's out there to really grow and sustain a business. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And a reminder to all of our audience to please go and continue to give us the gift of feedback, rate and review. It's really easy to do that out on Apple Podcasts. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.